We all know that what catapulted Yosef to greatness was his ability to interpret Paroi's dreams in a way that satisfied him. Question is, though, he didn't stop there. He also then offered what appears to be unsolicited advice on how to run the country. And on what basis did he do so? So to understand that, we'll need to examine what exactly about these dreams was Paroi so disturbed by and how is it that none of the contemporary dream interpreters could solve that for him. So when the Torah tells us about Paroi's dreams, that the the uh, interpreters could not interpret the dream. And also once you start to look at all the details of how Yosef presents an interpretation, you'll see that the commentaries have some very serious questions. Number one, Aleph. Yosef's suggestion, which was that this, the seven fat good cows, and the seven healthy ears of grain, they represent seven years of plenty. Whereas the thin cows, and the thin or emaciated Ears of wheat, they refer to seven years of famine, which is fine. <laughs> Who needs Yosef for that? It's self explanatory. You don't need a major dream interpreter for that. It's quite obvious, don't you think? The symbolism is quite obvious. Why would you have fat cows? Because there must be plenty to eat. So it's quite obvious that they would then represent a period of time where there is enough and abundance of everything. And it goes without saying, And even more obvious is if you have healthy wheat in the field, that tells you that it's a time of abundance. And, And, on the opposite end, if you have thin cows, that tells you that there's not enough food. And definitely, if you have these dried out wheat stalks, obviously that tells you that there's a famine. And the other detail, seven, I mean, so what's the great genius of Yosef that he's telling us of here that no ordinary person could have worked out on their own? Let's get into the details. Where does Paro see the cows emerging out of the Nile River? We know very well, the Torah has already told us, that what irrigates the land of Israel of Egypt is the Nile Delta, because there's not much rain. So they completely relied on the Nile in order to have their food and their, their, their resources. And the fact that first you have the healthy cows and wheat, and then the unhealthy cows and wheat, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to work out that it indicates that first there'll be a time of plenty because the Nile, the source of all abundance, is producing. And after that, it's going to dry up. So what's Yosef doing over here? They're so impressive. You and I could have worked this out, surely. With just simple deduction. And the fact that in the dream everything appears in sevens. 
So you, again, don't have to be a major genius to work out. It's talking about seven cycles of the production of wheat. And each cycle of agriculture is once a year. And how do you produce bread? Well, first you plant, and then you get the wheat, and then you have to grind the wheat, which requires the, the bulls that are going to pull the grindstones. So the entire thing is describing the, the cycle of the production of food, which happens once a year. Say so if it's seven times in a dream, it means seven years. So because they move moving cloud. So then it really makes no sense. Number one, these great genius advisors to Paro, they couldn't work this out. They couldn't see, decipher the connection between food and food, between seven and seven years, seven cycles. And the only suggestions they could come up with were, as Rashi says, things that Paro could just simply not accept. Why couldn't they work this out? And on the other side, what's so genius about what Yosef interprets? That impressed Paro to such an extreme extent that he said, okay, now you've got to be the person in charge of running this country. What did he tell him that you and I couldn't have worked out? So that's the first question. It's such clear linkage between the, the imagery and the message. Surely anybody could have decoded it. Question two. As soon as Yosef finishes telling Paro his interpretation of the dream, he doesn't stop there. He continues. And he emphasizes. The Torah emphasizes. Look what, what does Yosef do? He goes, and. That and what he's going to say next is a direct follow-on from what he's just said, which is the interpretations of the dreams. What does he do next? He starts giving advice to Paro. Who asked you for advice? And detailed advice. Now, based on what I've just told you, that there's going to be seven years of famine and seven years of uh, prior to that of plenty, now you should find somebody to run the country. You should establish a whole hierarchy of, of authorities to oversee the food distribution and storage. If you think about it, this is Yosef, who just a minute ago was pulled out of prison, where the Tsar Hamashkim had introduced him as an Eved and a Nar and all these disparaging terms. Now he thinks he's going to have a chutzpah to tell Paroi how he should run his country? All Paray asked of him was interpret the dream. He never asked his advice. Where did Yosef get this from? Some commentaries want to say, well, the reason Yosef did this, that Yosef wanted to tell Pari, why do you think Hashem showed you this dream? Because he wants you to act. He wants you to do something. It's not just that Hashem wanted to cause him distress. But rather that Hashem wanted to encourage Paro that he should come up with a system to protect his citizens during this difficult time. That's what the Mephoshim argue. But it's not really such a, a, a satisfying answer because because then Yosef should have said, He 
He should have said clearly, Paroi, and the reason you've had this dream is so that you could act accordingly. But he doesn't say that. He says, now let me give you my advice, as if to say, now I'm going to step in as the hero. Why does he do that? Question number three. We know that what bothered Paroi the most was the fact that he had a disturbing dream and he had no clarity. He had no answer, no understanding of why this dream should be. And that's why he listened to the Sarah Mashkim, the royal battler, and brought Yosef out of prison because apparently he knows how to do these things. In Cain, if that's true, how come it is that after Yosef interprets the dream, the Pasuk tells us, So what does it say? It says that this, the advice that Yosef gave, that's what Paro was impressed with. At least the Torah should have first said, Paroi was impressed by Yosef's interpretation of the dream. And then, based on that, he accepted his advice. The Torah completely ignores the fact that Yosef may have impressed Paroi with his interpretation and gets straight to the point that he was impressed by Yosef's advice. Now, that's weird because he didn't ask for advice. The only reason he brought him on board was to interpret the dream. And lastly, what's really surprising is not a word in Rashi. These are questions that stare you in the face when you're reading the simple understanding of the Pasuk. Why does Rashi not address any of them? Rashi is the head of all those who interpret the simple interpretation of Torah. As we know, Rashi always addresses the questions that present at the surface at the simplest level of understanding. Not a word. Why not? And the only reason you could say that Rashi doesn't comment on something is because it's self-explanatory. You have to therefore conclude that the answer to all of these questions, why Yosef stuck out his neck in a place he wasn't asked to go, why nobody else could work out what he was trying to say, why the Torah doesn't even acknowledge the greatness of his interpretation, only the greatness of his advice, is all self-understood. In the simple understanding of the of the psukim, or at the very least, it is alluded to in Rashi's words. So let's have a look at Rashi's words and see if we can find something that alludes to this answer. So let's start off by what Rashi said about how come it is that nobody could satisfy Paroi with an interpretation. Because the Pasuk says, nobody could interpret them. To Paroi's satisfaction. Now we're going to see that Rashi gives a particular interpretation of this. Somewhat different to the Medrash. We want to know why there's a difference and what Rashi is trying to tell us. So Rashi says, They did offer interpretations of Eloi Paroi, but they did not satisfy Paroi. What's the example Rashi says? They told Paroi, You will bear seven daughters. And you will bury seven daughters. That's the example that Rashi gives. Now, there's two questions on this. Why is it relevant to us that Rashi has to tell us what the failed interpretations of the dream interpreters was? Who cares? Why doesn't Rashi just simply tell us what we need to know, which is... 
that they offered interpretations that Paro would not accept. All Rashi had to tell us was that Paroi was dissatisfied with the interpretation. The end, we don't have to know what they suggested or why he rejected it. That's question one. Question two, why does Rashi not follow through with his source? What Rashi's just told us, the example that they said you'll have seven daughters and lose seven daughters comes from a medrash. There is nothing in the Pasuk that clearly indicates that this might have been an interpretation. So it's directly from the medrash. So Rashi's leaning completely on the medrash and yet he doesn't say the same thing as the medrash. Because some number medrash you saw, the medrash says that the cows in the dream were interpreted to be the daughters that would be born and buried. But the medrash continues, they also said, the seven great healthy stalks of wheat represent seven kingdoms that Paro would conquer. And the seven, the seven, um, the uh, seven weak or, or um, what's the word, uh, unhealthy stalks of wheat. Those are seven uh, duchies or seven uh, minor kingdoms that would rebel against him. So my time is Rashi because of echad. So why does Rashi ignore that and only say one interpretation? The one interpretation of the daughters. Why does he skip over the one about the potential rebellion, the conquest and the rebellion of different areas? Especially if you think about it, it's logical. If there were two dreams, you have to expect that there are two messages. Which is why Yosef had to explain why the Torah, why the dream was repeated. So logically, if Yosef is explaining why there are two dreams, logically the dream interpreters would also have explained why there are two dreams. So the only way to answer it must be whichever of the two interpretations the Medrash used. Rashi quotes, that's the one that's relevant to, to the Pshat. That's exactly the point. The fact that Rashi only quoted the interpretation of daughters being born and dying, because that's the one that fits the Pshat. And therefore, Medrash might interpret that there were two different explanations or offerings by the uh, dream interpreters, but Pshat of the Pasuk says there was one. Which one? Seven daughters born, seven daughters to die. And later on in the Sikha, we'll see why that is the only obvious one that could have happened. And also... In, embedded inside the story will also be the reason why it is that they couldn't work out the simple explanation. It's talking about years of plenty and years of famine. And the reason Rashi quotes this specific example about the seven daughters is because it will also highlight for us the greatness of Yosef's insight. Okay, so Now that we've identified that Rashi specifies that there's only one interpretation of what the Khartoumi might have said that could fit the Pshat, 
That will also help us understand So now Rashi's illustrating to us that we shouldn't explain the way the Medrash does, which was that when Yosef is the one who says Paroi's dream is a single message, that's the big breakthrough that Yosef made. Because according to the Medrash, the Khartumim said, According to the Medrash, the Khartumim saw two messages, two dreams, two things that are going to happen. And that's why they couldn't interpret the dreams straightforward. And Yosef comes along as the great hero and says, no, you've missed the point. It's a single dream with a single message. That interpretation only works according to the Medrash because the Medrash says the Khartoumim offered two interpretations. Whereas Rashi, Rashi says clearly as far as Rashi is concerned all the dream interpreters only gave a single interpretation you will have seven daughters and bury seven daughters and according to Rashi there is no second interpretation from those advisors because as we already said, Rashi holds that if you're reading the, the, the story at the Pshat level, not the Medrash level, even the dream interpreters of Paroi recognize there's a single message over here. So they're giving a single message which is wrong. Yosef is giving a single message which is right. The Chiddush of Yosef's insight is not his identifying that there's Chaloim Echad Hu, but specifically the nature of what the dream means. Now we're going to have a look at an interesting thing about the Abravanel, where he says, let's make a big, major distinction between the approach, attitude, and insight of the dream interpreters of Paroi and Yosef Lahavdu. The two different approaches of Yosef and the other dream advisors was not just the specifics of the dream, but they had two different approaches to the whole concept of dream interpretation. Those who were the dream advisors to Paroi, they understood the mechanics of how you interpret dreams. They understood that in the world of dreams, things are symbolic, they're not literal. So you have to work out the thing, the image you see in the dream, what does it symbolize? That's why when they come to interpret the dream, their immediate reaction is, cows are not literally cows, and wheat is not literally wheat. Rather, they must be symbolic of other things because that's the world of dreams. It's a world of symbols and metaphors. Whereas Yosef comes from a totally different place because he's not using the science of dream interpretation, but he understood with Ruach HaKodesh. Not just using the technology of dream interpretation. And therefore, he understood HaMS. He understood the truth of these dreams. These are not ordinary dreams that Paroi had. Which are, um, which are uh, affected by a person's imagination, possibly the things that they thought about during the course of the day, and therefore are all symbolic. 
Yosef turns around and says, this is not Freudian dream interpretation. These are direct messages from Hashem. And if it's a message, the message is direct. The cows are cows and the wheat is wheat. It's just that when you're looking at the pshat, at a pshat level, we're not familiar with the idea that there are different kinds of dreams and different experiences of interpretation of the dreams. Especially when you consider this is not the first time we've had dreams in Torah. In fact, if you have a look at the dreams that precede these dreams, they're always interpreted pshat. Let's look at Yaakov's dream. He dreams of a ladder reaching the heavens with angels climbing up and down. Look what Rashi says. It's a simple, direct, it's not symbolic. Yes, the Amid Russian let's say it is symbolic. But Rashi, it's a, it's a literal dream. The angels that had accompanied Yaakov until the border of Eretz Yisrael were now leaving by ascending this ladder. And new angels that have the jurisdiction of outside of Eretz Yisrael, they descended the ladder. It's literal. Perhaps even more literally. Are the dreams of Yaakov about the various mutations of sheep that were going to be born to his flocks as he had negotiated with Lavan? It was a literal dream. What he saw in the dream was exactly the mutation that was born into his flocks. And perhaps what's an even greater proof and closer to our story, Yosef. The dreams of Yosef, which are, we were gathering bundles of wheat in the field. My bundles stood up. And all of your bundles of wheat came and bowed to mine. What's he saying? The brothers of Yosef understood this dream literally. The bowing means they will bow to him. And how and where and when will they bow to him? In a context of getting food. Likewise, the second one, it's also a dream of everybody bowing to Yosef. So therefore, if we typically know that dreams so far in Torah are always to be taken literally, now to interpret these dreams, fat cows, thin cows, uh, great uh, things of, of wheat and, and, and emaciated things of wheat. Something which obviously has impact on the whole of Mitzrayim. It's the most obvious kind of dream at first glance. It's much more obvious to say that we're dreaming or Paroy is dreaming about something that affects the whole country than just about him, him personally in his personal life, having daughters, losing daughters. And, and, and especially when you start to realize these are far-fetched metaphors that cows should represent daughters. So let's understand exactly what's going on over here with this, this dream. Why? Let's go back to our original question. Why could nobody explain it? It's so obvious. Why did Yosef give advice? Nobody asked for it. Ah, you'll understand the answer to all of that by understanding what really bothered Paroi by the dream. 
Iker HaKoyshi Bechaloyim, the most bothersome, the most intriguing, difficult part of this dream. Shemona Me'achartumim Lifteras HaKoyim Kipshutoy, which blocked the Chartumim from being able to explain it properly. Shepores HaToyves Cholomoris HaSeva Mosen Cholay, which didn't allow them the opportunity to, to see that good cows, healthy cows, means years of plenty. It's because of a detail in how the dream unfolds. There's an impossible detail in the dream. What does the Pasuk say? You've got the seven fat cows standing now on the side of the river. Out of the river simultaneously emerge seven thin cows. They look emaciated. And they stand next to the other cows that are healthy. If the seven thin cows are supposed to represent the next seven years of famine, how could they stand next to the healthy cows which represent the seven good years? Makes no sense. The beginning of one year indicates the end of the previous year. So if this is a year of plenty and this is a year of famine, how can they logically ever be at the same time? And that's why the Khartoumim said there's no way you could refer to years of plenty and years of famine because there's no way they could be together. So let's come up with another suggestion. Let's rather say it's you'll have seven daughters, lose seven daughters. Because that is possible that it could happen in the same time frame. It's possible that you could at one time give birth to seven daughters and at the same time lose seven other daughters, especially in context of Paroi. In those days, the Egyptians, Especially a king. Not just any king, but Paroi. The king of a promiscuous nation. As we know later on from Makas Bechoros, each family had more than one firstborn. He must have had many wives, many concubines. It was absolutely feasible. And in one year, he'd have seven new daughters and lose seven daughters. It's completely logical to suggest, as the advisors did, that in the same period of time you'll give birth to seven and lose seven. The seven that will die will not be the same as the seven that are born in that period of time. And if you're going to go with that interpretation, then we can understand how it is that the thin cows swallow up the fat cows. Because the terrible pain of the loss of seven daughters would totally overwhelm the great joy of having seven daughters. And it fits the dream perfectly. That would be a great interpretation for the Chartumim. That's why Rashi quotes that one. But the suggestion that you're going to conquer seven kingdoms and at the same time you're going to have seven duchies that rebel against you. That is very far-fetched that it's going to happen in one time frame. Okay, move on. It's just logical. It's logical that a king is not going to launch seven wars against seven kingdoms simultaneously. 
אלא נוג לכבוש תחינה מדינה אחס, ואחר כך לא צריך לכבוש מדינה שנייה, וכן הלאה. Because the logic is first you conquer one area, then you conquer the next area, and then you conquer the next area. So, וזהו הטעם שבירה שפיסנח אטומים, that's why Rashi only quotes שבע בונס אטמולד ושבע בונס אטקובר, the suggestion that it referred to seven daughters born and seven daughters lost. And that's also why Rashi didn't just simply say, whatever they interpreted, Paroi rejected. He wanted to give us the details. Because Rashi wants us to know, why did these interpreters not go with the argument that it's years of plenty and years of famine? Because they couldn't work out how the years could be at the same time. Whereas the example of daughters being born and daughters dying logically could have happened in the same chapter which brings us then to Yosef so how in fact then did Yosef understand that both the plenty and the famine should coexist from that we can also understand that's exactly Yosef's brilliance how to interpret these plenty and the famine in the context of being simultaneously so what does Yosef do? Straight after telling Paroi what the straightforward, easy understanding of the dream is, that the healthy cows and the healthy wheat represent years of plenty, and the emaciated cows and dried out wheat represent years of famine. Straight away, immediately Yosef now has to answer the key question over here. So how did they coexist? The big question which forced everybody else to interpret the dreams as anything but years of plenty and famine, Yosef now has to address this issue because that's the burning question. How could you imagine that healthy years and, and famine years are at the same time? Therefore, Yosef continued, not as a separate topic. That's why there's a vav ve'ato. And this is a key part of the interpretation. The dream is telling you, Now, Paro, you need to have some brilliant individual to run this country. And to establish all kinds of leadership around the country. And to divide the... the, the, the produce of Egypt during the good years so that boys that all the upcoming years of goodness you can now collect some of that produce the and store it away and therefore this will be an investment so that you'll have food to draw on during the famine years why does why does uh, Yosef say this that explains how the two totally opposite time periods could actually be one time period. If right at the beginning of the years of plenty, you immediately begin the practical steps of preparation of gathering food for the time of famine, it's already in the good years that you're creating these great storehouses of food for bad years. Pirish hadavar hu. What does that tell you? Yeshnon kvar. 
Then what you're saying is that even in the good years, you're already living the years of famine. Where? In your mind, in your planning, in your sentiment, in your actions. That interprets the dream. At the same time that it's good years, at the same time, you're in a headspace of bad years. And on the flip side, when you reach the seven years of famine, at the same time that you have those years of famine, you also have the years of plenty. Because you're living in the years of famine, eating the years of plenty supplies. The cows stand side by side. Now we understand why the Pasuk says that it was Dafka the advice that impressed Paroy and his people more than the interpretation of the dream. And that's why, what's the praise that Paroy showers on Yosef? Nobody's as smart as you. Without saying a word that you're a brilliant dream interpreter. He skips right over that and says, you're brilliant. Because Yosef's brilliance is not the fact that he could say fat cows equals good years and emaciated cows equals bad years. To work out that fat cows equals good years, you don't have to be brilliant for that. Anybody could work it out, as we said right at the beginning of the Sicha. What impresses Paroy? Yosef's incredible insight is the way that he could weave together the two messages to be simultaneously. Years of famine and years of plenty all occurring in the same space. And most importantly, when he could show that the two years, the two types of years could coexist, then you know that he's interpreted the dream properly. To put it differently, when Paris says there's nobody as wise and understanding as you, it's because what's, what's he acknowledging? What is Paris seeing about Yosef? Not only is he identifying what Hashem is warning Paris about, not just what Hashem is going to do, but that Hashem is showing him what he could do to help. Not only is he seeing what Hashem is going to do to him, but the message is what he could do to protect his people. That's brilliant. That's Yosef's landmark interpretation at face value. Now let's look at it from a deeper spiritual perspective. Habir was going deeper into the world of the esoteric. As we know very well, the fact that Yosef interpreted these dreams was the direct cause of Yosef and his fa- of Yaakov and his family moving down to Mitzrayim, which of course led to the Golos of Mitzrayim and most importantly to the Geula that would follow. This we know just simply from reading the story. It's because of this story of interpreting the dreams that Joseph becomes the powerful leader of Egypt. Which causes Yaakov and family to come down to Mitzrayim. So Mizemuvan, 
which then illustrates these dreams cannot then be completely separate from the main outcome of the dreams, which is the beginning of the Golos Mitzrayim and eventually Golos Mitzrayim. So somewhere in those dreams, you have to find messages and insights and wisdom about Golos and Golos Mitzrayim. Where? Vazvorobo's explanation is, Mavur b'chassidus al-aposuk, chassidus interprets the pasuk which says, b'shuv Hashem eshiv asir no'inu k'cholmim, that we say, shara ma'ilos, what's going to happen is, when Hashem takes us back to Eretz Yisrael, we'll see that we were like dreamers. In other words, sh'agolos nim shalot chaloim. The entire experience of golos is a dream-like experience. Why? What is unique about a dream? A dream allows a person to accommodate totally opposite experiences. You could, one minute you're talking to a person in one part of the world, and the next minute you're in another part of the world, and it makes complete sense in the dream. So a dream space is a space of paradox, of contradictions. Now the experience of being Jewish during the Golos is an experience of contradiction. Because during the Golos, a person, every one of us, is able to somehow accommodate totally opposite realities. On the one hand, we daven, and in the course of davening, we come enraptured in love of Hashem and passion for mitzvahs. And then we go into the rest of the day when we're stressed and have anxiety because of the, the... trying to earn a living, and all the other things that are part and parcel of society. It's a contradictory reality. Either you're connected to God or you're stressed by the world. How does it work? And so that's why in Paroi's dream, which is a dream that tells us about the nature of Golos, and of course, practically, it's a dream that led to the beginning of the Golos experience. What's his dream? The accommodation of two opposite realities. Realities. The emaciated cows stand next to the healthy cows and it makes no sense. The fact that you could have years of plenty and years of famine all at the same time, which makes no sense. Why is that relevant to us? Of course, the nature of time is that time follows sequentially. Okay, like we say, over The time is measured by the past, which is not in the present, which will not be the future. Yet here in this dream, you have two phases that are of totally opposite realities. The years of plenty and the years of famine. The fact that they could both be together, even though time normally can never be together illustrates that in Golos you can accommodate things that seem to be complete opposites, namely, the time of spiritual plenty, the time where you feel love of Hashem, together with the time where you feel a famine, you feel hungry, you feel desolate, you feel desperate, the time where you're anxious over trying to earn a living. And as we know, Yosef's whole goal in all of this was to show how you can bring the two together. Why Yosef? Chassidus explains at length why Yosef's superpower was dream interpretation. Even though 
So to understand why Yosef is the one who holds the key to dream interpretation, first understand why it is that Dafka dreams allow you to accommodate in your mind the bizarre, the contradictory. So the simple answer is, it's because your rational mind isn't really functioning at that point. And so you're living in the world of imagination, which is a world that all kinds of weird things can happen. The same kind of thing happens in Golos. is a time where supernal wisdom and understanding is not the, 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 on the menu. And specifically, the power of the human soul to be able to, to interpret and understand godliness is not what we live with in a conscious way. We call Mokim nonetheless. That's the, so that's the simple reason. Why, do, why are dreams ridiculous? Because the brain's not working. Why is Golis a place of contradictions? Because the Neshama doesn't have the experience of Moichi. But Atama Pnimihu, there's a deeper reason as well. Because the spiritual root from where Golis originates is way higher than the spiritual root of time when it's not Golis. In Kabbalistic terminology, it's from a realm where there's no start and finish, where you can't say this is higher and this is lower. Represented by the concept of a sphere which has no top and bottom, no beginning and end. In other words, during Golos, we actually have the potential to key in to a far higher experience of, God, experience of godliness and holiness than even during ordinary or healthy times. And that's why, if you want to experience the greatness that is potentially available during Golos, you actually have to be dreaming. You can't interpret the great potential of Golos and the great source of Golos as long as you're thinking, because thinking always has to make sense and things have to be hierarchical, and this is access to godliness that's not part of the hierarchy. And in order to get there, you need Yosef. That's why Yosef is the dream interpreter. Yosef comes from an exceptionally high level. He is beyond the hierarchy of this world. He doesn't behave and shouldn't be confined to the ordinary realities. Like, for example, asking the Saramashkim to help you get out of prison. No, you've got to go over the source, over the systems, over the natural order. Because that's where Yosef is. And therefore Yosef is the only one who can pull away the wrapping that hides these intensely high spiritual opportunities within the world. Only Yosef is able to interpret, to tell the story that is hidden in the dream. A story that the thinking person and the normal tzaddik cannot access because it doesn't make sense according to the rubric we live in. So you need a Yosef who stands outside of and above the system, who is of such a super level that he could peel away the, the concealment and let you know the story in terms you could relate to. Once Yosef is in the mix, and once Yosef is able to show us that there's more to the story than the confusion of a dream, that empowers us to go through the Golos and achieve Geula. It's through Yosef that we have the power to remove the obstruction concealment of Golos. 
And therefore, that would be able to access the value of these high spiritual holy energies that currently we can only get in a state that doesn't really make sense. This will come to its ultimate in the future. When we'll see the fulfillment of the promise, the prophetic promise that Hashem will no longer be concealed without anything that hides. At that time, Hashem will be one with His name. As I am written, so I can be read. In other words, somehow in Golos, in the experience of Golos, there is this hidden access to very powerful, very intense energy that in our world we can't begin to process or understand. So the only way we experience this is in the confusion of a dream. Comes Yosef says, let me interpret the dream for you. Let me make it accessible to you. Let me make that which is fundamentally beyond you part of your reality. And that is the gateway to Moshiach where the ultimate concealment of now will be completely revealed. And we'll see Hashem in the most obvious and most uh, clear way should happen. Take care of Umiyad Mamash.